0: Engine
1: running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Well, it is raining south of the city, but it's all starting to go away Um, for now. It's just cold out there. Cold and it's damp, and the dampness just makes it even more cold out there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number, 404-872-0750-1800 WSB. I will get into Jerusalem here. In a moment, but first, let me deal with this breaking news. Uh, Trent Franks, Arizona Republican, a really good guy, by the way, if if I say so myself. I have known Trent Franks for a very long time, but it appears that uh, Trent Franks may have had an indiscretion in 2012 and is preparing to resign from Congress. He will be releasing a statement Uh, that actually surprises me about him. It does actually. I'm I'm actually surprised by this news, and I, I have a few friends of mine who are somewhat giddy that it's a it's it's a well half the Freedom Caucus members, and I'm you know i I am friends with a lot of the Freedom Caucus guys, and Trent Franks was a good one who was a stalwart for liberty. And stood up to George W. Bush's expansion of government and has stood up to Donald Trump's expansion of government and stood up to Barack Obama's expansion of government uh, and was a very, very kind soul the whole way through. And I'm I'm just totally shocked by this. I am uh, from a guy like this. But, I'm, I'm, you know, the more I have learned and been in the media now, I guess, eight, nine years on TV and, and six years on radio, it. I'm, I never cease to amazed by the people I know who I really don't know. Um, that's the craziest thing. And, and, you know, I I just, I am, I am a, a fat, boring white guy from middle Georgia. What you see is what you get. I am not all that exciting. And I discover these people who lead these, these double lives. And it is just, it's, it's bizarre. These. People cheating on their wives and whatnot. And, well, that gets me to the Al Franken situation and his bad behavior. Seven accusers. Seven accusers. And now he is stepping aside. And if you heard Al Franken's speech earlier today, it is really clear from Al Franken's speech that he doesn't really know why he is... um, why he's gone, why he's leaving, uh, other than they're forcing him out. And he doesn't have to be forced out, but he is being forced out. But it, it is a pretty clear, uh, it just from his speech today, that he didn't want to do this and felt pressure from his colleagues to do this. And you got people out there lamenting now the rush to judgment about him. Uh, you've even got some Republicans saying he really shouldn't have gone, but you know what? Uh, Look, we're we're two, seven accusers and based on the standard that the Democrats have for, for Roy Moore and Donald Trump, he's got to go, but there's, there's something you got to understand about Al Franken leaving today. You've got to understand this has nothing to do with, has, this has nothing to do with him or the Democrats doing the right thing. Let me play this audio real quick. Uh, this is from Al Franken on the floor of the Senate resigning. If I can
0: fire up my And address. that I was confident in the outcome. You know, an important part of the conversation we've been having the last few months has been about how men abuse their power and privilege to hurt women. I am proud that during my time in the Senate, I have used my power to be a champion of women, and that I have earned a reputation as someone who respects the women I work alongside every day. I know there's been a very different picture of me painted over the last few weeks, but I know who I really am serving in the united states senate has been the great honor of my life i know in my heart that nothing i have done as a senator nothing has brought this honor on on this institution and i am confident that the ethics committee would agree nevertheless today i am announcing that in the coming weeks I will be resigning as a member of the United States Senate.
1: In the coming weeks, he'll be resigning as a member of the United States Senate in the
0: coming weeks. I, of all people, am aware that there is some irony in the fact that I am leaving while a man who has bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office and a man who has repeatedly preyed on young girls' campaigns for the Senate with the the full support of his party.
1: That is why Al Franken is resigning. It has nothing to do about him doing the right thing. It's very clear from his statement. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong. He thinks an unfair picture has been painted about him, but there are two issues you need to understand for why Al Franken is leaving the Senate. Number one... The polling in Alabama has Roy Moore in a stronger lead now than he was before the scandal happened. More people support Roy Moore in Alabama today than they did before the scandal started. And one of the main reasons they do is because Republicans in Alabama have been running a ground campaign, an ad campaign, and a mail campaign, and a phone campaign pointing out that Democrats were rallying behind Al Franken. Who had five accusers and then six accusers. Finally, seven accusers later, the Democrats all coordinate and they time statements every two minutes. Every two minutes yesterday, yesterday afternoon, every two minutes, another Democratic senator released a statement saying it was time for him to resign. Two minutes apart, all of them. It started with women and then the men. And Al Franken saying, well, I'm going to make a decision with my family. We're going to talk, blah, 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 blah. No, the decision had already been made. This was coordinated and it was done. And you know why it was done? Because today reporters everywhere across America are saying, well, the Democrats hold their own accountable. Why don't the Republicans hold their own accountable? There's another reason as well. It's because the Congressional Black Caucus is livid about John Conyers. In fact, in a statement from the CBC, They were pretty upfront that the the white guys get protected. It's the black guys who get thrown under the bus. The white guys are rallied around and the black guys are told to go home. They were very clear. They thought this was racial politics inside the Democratic Party. So the white guy from Minnesota had to be thrown under the bus. And here's what you need to understand about this. There's a Democratic governor in Minnesota who will replace him with a Democrat— So the Democrats are not losing a single seat. Any of you out there thinking right now that this is the Democrats doing the right thing and taking the moral high ground? It is the right thing for him to go. But if you think the Democrats are doing it because it's the right thing and not the political thing, you are deluding yourselves. If Al Franken was all that stood between the Democrats and a Republican majority— There's no way he would be leaving. If Al Franken were in a state with a Republican governor who could appoint a Republican to replace him, there is no way the Democrats would be doing this. They are only doing it because Al Franken is a Democrat in a state with a Democrat governor who will appoint a Democrat to replace him. That is the only reason the Democrats pushed him out the door. And he didn't want to go. He's taken one for the team. You can be assured they have set him up nicely, and he will be hailed as some sort of hero the moment Roy Moore is elected because Al Franken did the right thing. Uh, Al Franken, you mean the guy who resigned for seven different women coming forward? Yeah. Yeah. I'm having a total brain fart here for a minute. You'll just have to bear with me as I process my thoughts and because I had something I wanted to. Okay, I know what I was going to talk about. Brace yourselves. Taylor Swift. She's under attack. Not because the white nationalists like her. That was the attack made on her a couple of weeks ago. No, no. She's under attack because Taylor Swift won't talk politics. She voiced her support for the Women's March, but she didn't go. And liberals are blasting Taylor Swift, even though they secretly know she leans to the left in this country because she's friends with Lena Dunham, who I hear there's a scandal coming on her, by the way. Oh, my goodness. Is it ever a scandal? But with Taylor Swift, they want her to get political because if she doesn't express, I mean, this is literally their argument. These little liberal millennials are making the if a tree falls in, in the forest and we're not there to witness it. Did it make a sound? Uh, Because if if, if, does Taylor Swift have political views unless she stands on stage and denounces Donald Trump, that's what they want her to do. They want her to denounce Donald Trump. Uh, She is an entertainer and she was raised in Nashville with a lot of people who are fans of hers who may not agree with her politically. And like Reba McIntyre, who was on The View a few months ago, said uh, her job is to entertain people and take their mind off the politics of the day when people are at each other's throats. Taylor Swift feels the same way. I, I have no doubt she voted for Hillary Clinton. I have no doubt she leans to the left socially. I don't care. She's a fairly good role model for girls. She, other than this latest album, I am not a fan, but my kid is. And she's a brilliant singer. She's a great songwriter. Uh, We should be commending people like her, not tearing her down because she refuses to get in the political mud with all these liberal millennials. It's 38 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Now let's talk about the Jerusalem situation. Because President Trump has committed the most grievous of sins in Washington, D.C. The President of the United States, our President, and he is, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, he is our President, has dared to to do what politicians of both parties in Washington have long said they wanted to do. Yes, I am here to tell you that is one of the biggest, most grievous sins one can commit in Washington, D.C., doing what all the other politicians say they want to do, but never actually get around to doing, because it exposes them for having lied. Nancy Pelosi signed on to a bipartisan resolution to support moving America's embassy to, Jerusalem's, or to Israel's eternal capital, Jerusalem. Dianne Feinstein supported a bipartisan congressional resolution to move the American embassy to Israel's eternal capital, Jerusalem. The party platforms of the Democratic Party and Republican Party call Jerusalem Israel's rightful capital and that our embassy should be there. Presidents Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, all campaigned on moving the American embassy to Jerusalem. And none of them did it. And the moment Donald Trump did it, there was an international meltdown led by howls and screams from Congress of Democrats who had long campaigned on moving the American embassy to Jerusalem. How dare he? He's going to start a war! You know, first of all, can I just pause here and say it really is rich to see a bunch of Democrats who wanted to change Cuba policy because the old policy hadn't done anything now suddenly say, we can't change our Israel policy. What about peace in the Middle East? Y'all, there is no such thing as peace in the Middle East. Peace in the Middle East is a BS argument. It is not there. It does not exist, and it will not exist until Jesus himself returns. There is never going to be peace in the Middle East. Do you know why there's never going to be peace in the Middle East? Because out of one breath, Palestinians say in Arabic, death to the Jews, and out of the other breath, in English, say, oh, we want a two-state solution. There is no difference, other than what they're saying, between the Democrats who in one breath, say, move the embassy to Jerusalem, and in the other breath, say, we can't do that, than with the mendacity of the Palestinians, who believe that the Jews have to all be killed. This is just, it, it, it is such hypocrisy. By Democrats and some Republicans, by the way, who are outraged by it, who have long supported it and long called for it. If anything, Donald Trump called their bluff. And that's why they're mad. They're more mad at being exposed than they are at actually seeing the embassy move. They, they are livid at being exposed. This was the right decision. It was the right decision because Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It is indisputably the capital of Israel. Do you know why people call Israel Palestine? Do you have any idea? Well, there was an emperor. His name was Diocletian. See, you're thinking of earlier, you're you're thinking of of Titus, who was then a general. Uh, it, storming through Jerusalem and tearing down the temple and killing the pure red heifers and all of that before he became emperor. No, 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 let's move further. Because you see, I, I, after the destruction of the temple in, in eighty seventy, the Jews were still in the area. And it was called Judea. It was when uh, when Domitian, it was a Domitian, yeah, or, yeah, it was Domitian, became emperor that he had had enough of Jewish rebellions. And he went in, and he slaughtered as many as he could, and he banned Jews from living anywhere in Judah. They were not allowed to live in Judah. He changed the name of the Judean province to Palestine. And that is where we get Palestinians from, derived from Philistines. And where do the Philistines come from? Well, the Philistines were from the land to the east of the Jordan, had moved over into the Canaan area, and God had designated that area for the, for the Jews and they pushed them out successfully, and they built a kingdom, and that kingdom lasted, and they went into exile in Persia, and they came back to that kingdom, and everything, the whole thing was theirs. But in the 20th century, everybody wanted to play inconveniently uh, ignorant, and the, the name had been changed to Palestine by the Romans, and everyone wanted to forget the history. Jerusalem has been the eternal capital of Israel, and we have always recognized it as Israel's capital, and yet we haven't had our embassy there to cater to Palestinian terrorists. Well, guess what? We're not doing that anymore. If we can change our Cuba policy because it wasn't working, we can change our policy on where the embassy is in Israel, because that policy sure hadn't been working to keep peace in the Middle East. So there's another point to be made here. You know what happens in Israel on a regular basis? Rockets. Come across from the Palestinian territories in Gaza and the West Bank. Rockets go into neighborhoods. Knife-wielding terrorists stab people. If they can get guns in, they'll shoot them, but the Israeli security has gotten very good. But on a regular, routine basis, this happens. And the media in the United States does not report on it until an Israeli does something to a Palestinian. And then they say both sides are doing it and it's all because of the tensions caused by Israel's occupation. The media loves to play the both sides do it the moment one Israeli does something to a Palestinian and ignores a, I mean, you can go 364 of a 365 day year with Palestinian violence every day and a Jewish violence on one day. And then, oh, well, both sides do it. Let, let's, let's call it this. And it's all because of what's happening with Israel and the way they treat the Palestinians. We will not have peace in the Middle East. So we might as well side with our ally, our democratic Western ally. And it was bold of the president to do this. It took courage for the president to defy the international community. The Pope himself is opposed, which tells you all you need to know about this Pope. But the president has committed the most grievous sin a politician can commit in Washington. He has dared to do what all the other politicians said they wanted to do and never did because they really didn't want to do it. Y'all, I haven't put anything else on my Twitter account, uh, from the latest thing that I've done. And I want you to go there if you're interested in doing this, um, Ryland Ward is five years old and he is one of the victims of the Sutherland Springs Baptist church shooting in Texas. He lost his mother. He lost two sisters. And he was supposed to leave the hospital, but he's going to be there for six to eight more weeks because a bullet penetrated his body, uh, hurting his kidneys, and he's having problems. And his grandmother has put out a request for people to send Christmas cards to Ryland Ward, uh, who will be in the hospital. Um, If you are interested in so doing... You can go to E.W. Erickson on Twitter and you will find the screenshot from KSAT in San Antonio, Texas that has the P.O. Box in Sutherland Springs that you can direct your Christmas cards to. Um, This little boy deserves a happy Christmas. If you can help, please do. And tomorrow, don't forget about Clark's Christmas Kids. And when we come back, I want to actually deviate, if you'll allow, from the news of the day and spend a little time talking to you about something you are doing probably at this very moment that you probably shouldn't be doing. Greetings. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. And congratulations to Atlanta's new mayor. By the way, before I do anything else... Can I just say, since I wasn't here yesterday, can I just say there are third world countries that can count the paper ballots of their entire population faster than Atlanta can get the computer records from a digitally held election? It is absolute staggering incompetence that the city of Atlanta and Fulton County really is to blame, Fulton County, that Fulton County's Board of Elections. Cannot expeditiously count ballots that are contained in computer records. I mean, pick your third world country Laos, Cambodia, Uganda, uh, you name it. Uh, they can count their entire election. And, and we're not even talking about the, the dictatorships where you know who's going to win before the election's had, even without polling. We're talking about the ones that, that at least are trying to be democratic. So maybe I shouldn't say Uganda. Anyway, y'all know what I mean. It is slow, slow, slower than molasses. Uh, And I I would like to think that the Fulton County Commission and the Atlanta City Council could speed this process up. But congratulations to the new mayor. I'm sure everything's fine. (laughs) Okay. I want to step away from politics now, if you'll allow me, for just a little while. It, It is news. The holiday season is upon us. I'm writing a series of newspaper columns. I And, you know, I tend to do a lot more writing at this time of year, largely because... Uh, More senior people than me at various newspapers are taking off, so people ask if I'll step in. They know I work out of the house, um, and so I I occasionally will volunteer, and then I've got my own columns to write. Not that you can read it in the Atlanta paper, mind you, uh, but nationally in more than 100 newspapers, and I've got uh, The Resurgent, and then I've got a local column uh, that I left down in Macon, not that I get paid for it. I still do it. I don't know why, but... One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, and I mentioned it here on the radio, is the stress that a lot of people feel during the holiday season. When I was researching my last book, um, not Before You Wake, the, the last book, uh, You Will Be Made to Care, both of which, by the way, are available on Amazon.com. Um, and before you wake is an excellent Christmas gift, hint, hint, one of the, I came across a quote from Rosario Butterfield. I don't have it right in front of me, but let me paraphrase this quote that in the gay community, people don't worry about the state of their homes because an unlocked door, being able to come in and have a conversation in the middle of the night, um, is what could save someone from the bottle, the bullet drugs or from committing suicide. In many cases, um, people who are gay have seen their families disown them. They, in the, the gay community tends to be very close-knit. And what I find in, in many, many households these days is you are so concerned about the state of your living room and kitchen that you're not going to have anyone into your home. And it is a real source of stress and frustration for you as the holidays come uh, that your house has to be perfect. And not only does your house have to be perfect, your house has to be picture perfect. And there's a bit of hypocrisy in me saying that. So I am right now looking at the cuts on my hands. Uh, You know, you know, the little like bump at the very end of your finger, particularly your ring finger, Kinda, kind of has a little bit of a... I'm not talking about the end where the nail is, but the the bit that you were to touch on a keyboard. Yep, that's gone on mine, chopped off. Um, It bled all over the place with a ladder the other day. And uh, putting up Christmas decorations. I I mean, I have Christmas lights around my house. The front of the house, the side of the house, the back of the house. I got them inside the house. We got a 12-foot tall tree. It literally reaches to the ceiling. It is decked out. Um, And I do this to myself every year. And it's not really a pleasurable experience. It's something I feel like I have to do. And there are a lot of people who are out there right now who are planning the perfect Christmas. Many of them going into debt because they got to spend the money to have the perfect Christmas. They are working to clean their house, working overtime. They're planning the meals. They're going through their their recipe cards to get every single thing that they feel they have to make. And I say feel intentionally here because it really is an emotional connection to this memory of Christmas past that people are trying to reconnect to. And so you see these people in stores and they're smiling and they're happy. And, and it is a it is a facade. It is a Potemkin village of emotions because on the inside they are stressed out. Many of them have personal concerns. A lot of them have financial burdens uh, and, and all sorts of worries. They are overwhelmed with what is going on. As they plan their holiday, they got family coming or they're going to family. They got impressions to make, gifts to buy, people to make happy, and they think money's going to do it with the presents. And the holidays become an overwhelmingly stressful period. It wears people out when it's supposed to be a joyous time, particularly the Christmas and Hanukkah season. They are supposed to be joyous times of celebration and people put so many burdens on themselves. It becomes not a fun time. So first of all, think about that when you see the people around you in the grocery store. But secondly, think about it with yourself. Think about that with yourself and what you're doing and are you needlessly burdening yourself. And it is easier said than done because I I got family coming for Christmas and I am going to be working overtime to do all sorts of cooking I will be off the week between Christmas and New Year, so I will have extra time to do it. Uh, but then, you know, because I'm very blessed to have a home studio for Fox, I tend to volunteer for Fox and do overtime. I was up this morning at 5 a.m. to be on Fox, and I tend to do that around the holiday season while other people take vacations, since I'm very fortunate in my situation. Don't want people having to give up their holiday, so I'll do that. So I'll be up at, at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning doing TV, then going to cook breakfast and lunch. And supper, and it wears me out. So, I'm a total hypocrite when I'm telling you this, and I get it, it is hard to do. You have memories you want to build, but oftentimes I find, and this is where I try to stop myself, is I want to be mindful, and I want you to be mindful to spend more time building memories now instead of trying to recreate memories past. And that is where we, I think, during the holiday season, all of us have a hard time, is we have particular pleasant memories from past holidays, and we pour our time, talent, and treasure into recreating those holiday memories instead of building new holiday memories. We hang on to the past. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in, in the Screwtape Letters, where Screwtape tells Wormwood to keep the man either in the past or in the future. Because if you keep him focused on the future, when it gets to that moment where he's anticipating To the future. And it's not like he envisioned he's going to be mad at God. And if you keep him focused on the past, he's never really going to appreciate the present, which is where you find God in the here and now. And it's the same for us. We have the opportunity to build memories with family and friends now. And the only way we build real memories, honest memories is we sometimes have to let go of trying to recreate the memories from past holidays. And I hope you will all take that under advisement and consider it, uh, very genuinely consider it. You don't need a perfect home to build a happy memory. And in your quest to get the perfect home and the perfect presence and the perfect tree with the perfect decorations and the perfect bows and the perfect wrapping job, You are depriving yourself of time spent better with family and friends, building some good memories this year. Welcome back. Uh, But, you know, one of the things, I I have allergies so bad, uh, as do my kids. I've started subscribing to a company that they send me air filters. Every three months, I get a brand new uh, allergy air filter. And it is the great, because I forget about air filters until me and the kids, we we all get sick. I guess I should say the kids and I all get sick. Uh, So this is like the greatest thing ever. I've put it up on Instagram, and I mean, every three months, we get this great air filter. And I've got a, uh, I mean, we just do the maintenance service with our air people, and they'll come in and change the filter every six months. But every three months, I get one for allergies. And it is, I'm sick this week, but it has been great. So maybe they'll give me an ad deal or something. I have no idea, but great service. The, the internet is an amazing thing. It has changed the way I shop. Um, talk about that. But hey, when I come back, I want to do now what I did in podcast form a few weeks ago. Why is Christmas December 25th? Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. You know, when I grew up, one of the things that I heard often was that uh, Christmas was December 25th because of Saturnalia. Uh, the Roman pagan festival, and the the Christians wanted to co-opt local pagan holidays to try to draw people to Christianity, uh, and it, there was Saul, there was that. And then older, I learned it was Saul Invictus specifically on December 25th that Christians co-opted said, you know that unconquered son, Saul Invictus, that's Jesus, you should celebrate it. And, and the more I've studied this and researched it, been to, to seminary and talking to professors and doing a lot of reading on my own, There's actually, I would say, a fair amount of evidence that Emperor Aurelian, who set Saul Invictus on December 25th as an official uh, pagan holiday for the Roman Empire, actually did it in response to Christians, not the other way around. What you need to understand is that in the early church... Christians didn't celebrate birthdays. That's what the Romans did. And so they didn't engage in celebrations the way the Romans did. They didn't go to the Colosseum, to the gladiatorial fights. They didn't engage in the pagan celebrations, the ritual orgies, all that sort of stuff. They wanted to show they they were morally distinct. They were good citizens, but morally distinct based on their religious tenets. And so they wouldn't have been celebrating birthdays, uh, but the earliest Christian record of when Jesus' birth was was around 200 AD with Tertullian, who wasn't even interested in finding Jesus' birth. He was interested in finding when Jesus died. And what he found was that Jesus would have died or would have died on the 15th Nisan, which is in the Bible, and that he worked his way back and figured that would have been the 25th of March. And you got to remember that the early Christians uh, carried over a lot of traditions from Judaism because most of them had been Jews who converted to Christianity. They thought it was part of Judaism. And one of the ideas that carried over was an idea that a prophet died on the anniversary of his conception. A prophet died on the anniversary of his conception. So if you were born on March or if you died on March 25th, you would have been conceived on march 25th years earlier and they they believe this well it doesn't take a rocket scientist from there to figure out okay you, you got nine months um where are you gonna wind up uh april may june july august September, october november december 25th if tertullian was right Well, while Tertullian's doing this on the western side of the Roman Empire, on the eastern side of the Roman Empire, they're trying to figure out the same thing. Or they're trying to figure out when Jesus was conceived, because again, they believe that if they could find out when he was conceived, they could find out the calendar date of his death. And they knew uh, from the Bible that the that Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, had been in the temple, and six months later. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, so they took the class of priests who they knew had been in the temple when it fell in AD 70, they worked their way back, and they figured out that, well, Zacharias would have been in the temple in uh, October, the end of October. Well, move six months forward, you get to the end of March. Well, hey, this guy we all respect in the West, Tertullian, believed that Jesus died on March 25th. We're in the same ballpark, must have been March 25th. Oh my gosh, that means his birthday would have been December 25th. Now, you can say they got it wrong. In fact, a lot of people reply every time I go through this, and they say, well, that's wrong because the shepherds would have been tending their flock in the wintertime. There's actually evidence they would have, but besides the point, people think, really, Jesus was born in the springtime, and there is a lot of evidence to suggest he probably was. But it doesn't matter what the evidence now says. The question is, did they believe they were right? And they believed they were right. Whether they were or not is beside the point. They believed they were right. And if they believe they were right that Jesus was crucified on March 25th, and they believed that he was conceived the day that he died, the anniversary of the day he died, was the day he was conceived, well, then you've got to fast forward nine months to find out the birthday, and that's December 25th. That is why we have Christmas not because of Saturnalia, not because of Saul Invictus. In fact, again, there's a lot of archaeological evidence. The Biblical Archaeological Society has a, a great uh, report out on this that uh, Emperor Aurelian, he put Saul Invictus on December 25th to combat the growing uh, Christian recognition of Jesus. I mean, Tertullian figured this out in 200 AD, and it was 75, 78 years later that Aurelian put the Saul Invictus on December 25th. So whether you agree with it or not, just understand that the truth is a little more complicated than just saying, oh yeah, the Christians were co-opting holidays. You know, as an aside on on this Christmas thing, one of the questions I get asked a lot by skeptical people is why is there only one virgin birth account in the Bible? Um, Luke gives us the, the virgin birth. Matthew does not start out that way. Matthew uh, now, Mark goes straight into when Jesus' ministry starts, and, um, or I'm sorry, Mark does. Matthew starts out with the genealogy of Jesus, and then that's chapter 1, and chapter 2 is the Magi visit the Messiah and the escape to Egypt. Um, here's an interesting note. First of all, keep in mind that I realize that you got uh, Bart Ehrman and others who say that um, the, the, the the books of the Bible, they differ with each other and the differing means that they're from different sources and it's not true and on and on and on. Actually, you know, there are far more things they have in common than don't. And I would suggest that it's because they're written for different audiences. They are stories. These are storytellers. They're telling uh, stories that are truthful, mind you, but they have different audiences and so shape events slightly different to emphasize certain things to their audiences. Like, for example, Mark mentions the wilderness more than the other gospels. Why? Because he's written to early Christians in the Neroic persecutions and uh, talking about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness and all. He wants these people who are wandering the wilderness being tempted to leave the faith that Jesus has been here with you. Um, Matthew is, is written to a Jewish audience. He wants to emphasize the royal lineage of Jesus. Well, Luke, interestingly enough, he writes his gospel in Greek, but the first three chapters of Luke are clearly, clearly written as if he interviewed someone who is Jewish because of the way he uses words in his Greek. It, it's clear that he was talking to someone speaking Hebrew and putting it in Greek. Um, among scholars who have studied this, there isn't wide dispute here. Uh, sounds like maybe he interviewed Mary about this. Uh, As to why he was there, he wanted to provide a historic account. He wanted to provide a a very legitimate account. And for all the people saying, well, all these other religions had had virgin birth stories, perhaps so. But they were all grand and glorious stories of gods coming to earth and and engaging in relations and in wonderful people. And here's a kid uh, born in a manger. That's what you need to know. Um, is the virgin birth? Re- I think you got to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian. I do. You got to believe in the resurrection. You got to believe in the Trinity, and you got to believe in in the virgin birth. I think those are the three boundaries of Christianity into which a lot of people can throw disagreement. Um, but that would be why it's in one. One guy is writing history. The others have other audiences. Uh, we shouldn't hijack their narratives for our skepticism. Uh, when they had audiences they were trying to address. Y'all, look, we'll get more into politics uh, when, actually, I guess I'm back on Monday. We've got Clark's Christmas Kids tomorrow. Uh, uh, Let me spend just a moment here, if you'll allow, plugging Clark's Christmas Kids. It is a very big deal. Uh, It's tomorrow, he and Smile and Mark are going to be in Alpharetta. And there's going to be a satellite broadcast. Uh, Von Hessler is going to be in Buford. Uh, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. on air Friday. There are going to be events Saturday and Sunday. You can go to WSB Radio to find out more information. If you haven't helped foster kids this year, that's what Clark's Christmas Kids is about. They ha- find willing people to buy presents for kids in foster care who otherwise would not get presents so that they too can have a great Christmas. And I really want you to consider, if you haven't done it already... Please help Clark's Christmas kids. It is a great program. I feel kind of guilty. My schedule did not allow me to participate this year. Uh, I really enjoyed it last year. I did it right after the election. Ate a little crow as well. Um, People coming up, rubbing in that I got the election wrong. Uh, But it was a good time. It was worth it. It was a great event, good people, and it's such a good cause. Uh, So I really want to encourage you guys to participate in that if you can. Uh, And I will be off tomorrow surrendering my time to Clark so that he can do this live broadcast and encourage people to get out there. And I will see you guys Monday. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I got to finish a term paper. And so wish me luck on that. And I will see you guys Monday.